Please take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. I've entitled this message, The Pastor. Uh, so if you would, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Paul writing to young Timothy, he says, It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of an overseer or, or a pastor, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, it, your word encourages us. It instructs us. Father, it, uh, it, it, it offers us hope. Lord, it brings calm to crisis. Uh, Lord, it, 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 it empowers us and emboldens us. So, Father, we just thank you for this word, Lord. May it lift up the spirits of your people. And Father, if, if we hunger and thirst for the things of God, Lord, may we be filled this day. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I can recall that uh, shortly after going into pastoral ministry five or 6,000 years ago, I, I heard these following words being both taught and prayed, and preached rather. Uh, I heard this continually. It said, if you can be happier doing anything else than pastoring, you better do it. Folks, pastoring is not for the faint of heart. It is not for those who are seeking some comfy, cushy job. It is not for those who are hoping to get the people's applause and approbation. It will bring heartache, disappointment, discouragement, and if he happens to be married, his wife will suffer, will suffer vicariously. However, Beyond all that the man who is called to serve as pastor will have, he will have the, 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 the great benefit, the, the one singular great benefit of being under the employ of the most tender, most compassionate, most caring, and most satisfying person, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is employed by Jesus. He's not employed by the church. Let me just tell you right now, you will not ever say to the pastor, we hired you. God called him. You, listen folks, he is, he is not hired, he is called by God. We're, we're not hiring somebody to, to clean light bulbs. The man is called of God to preach the unsearchable riches of God's word. He's not hired to do that. He is sent here. He is issued a charge by God to be here. 
to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ to the church at Hazelwood, Missouri. So as long, so, so as, as we come to our text this morning, rather, let's look at verse 1 and take note of the word to aspire, or said you may have in your Bibles to desire, that if someone would aspire to or desire to be an overseer, to be a pastor, the word means, the word aspire or desire. You've got this itch in you. I can recall, by the way, back in 1969, uh, I'd gotten saved on June the 15th, 1969. It was a Sunday morning. Uh, the invitation song was, Why Do You Wait? And I came forward on June the 15th of 1969. On July the 14th of 1969, I made a, 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 a commitment to Christ because I knew that I knew that I knew that I was going to be a pastor. One month after I was saved, I knew that this would go. There was, listen, there was nothing. I was, was kind of successful doing what I was doing. I was selling tires. And, uh, and I loved it. Just gotten out of the Navy, I was selling tires. And I'd uh, been doing it for two years. And uh, I was successful doing that. But once I got saved, I, there, was, there was nothing else in my mind or in my heart that I says, I need, I want to be a preacher. I need to be a preacher. This is, God has called me to this. And I was driving people crazy. The people I was working with, they were getting tired of me. Uh, they were getting tired of me talking about Jesus than the church. I knew in my heart that's what I needed to do. It means, folks, to aspire, to desire something. It means that you're going to stretch yourself out. You stretch yourself out irrespective of whatever obstacles are out there. You stretch yourself out in order to grab hold of something. The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 3, 13 and 14, he says, forgetting what lies behind. The, the guy who's called to ministry sets everything else behind, aside, back burner, everything. When God, when God issues a call to a pastor, a man to be a pastor, he sets everything else aside and he stretches out to lay hold of that call of God. Paul says, forgetting what lies behind and reaching, stretching forward to what lies ahead. He says, I press on. Whatever obstacle is out there, whatever mountain there is to climb, what, listen, whatever, whatever is out there, you set that aside. You say, well, I got this and I got that. And I, oh, I got to take care of my family and this is going to cost me a minute. I got Listen, when God calls you, you set all things aside. God's call. Pastor, God's call. Stretch yourself out to grab hold of it. You know, I was talking to my director of missions just a couple of days ago. He says, Pat, you know one of the big problems in our churches? Do you know that there are churches all over the United States, thousands and thousands and thousands of churches that cannot find pastors? Thousands of them that cannot find pastors. I says, I says Bob, what's, what's the problem? He says, you know what it is? He says, because young men are not going into the ministry anymore. 
Where's the call? Where's the call of the church to say, young men, listen to God's voice, listen to the call of God in your life? Are you aspiring? Are you desiring to be God's man in God's pulpit to preach the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ? Is that you? Stretch yourself out there. Do you aspire? Do you desire to do this work? Reaching forward and pressing on. This kind of desire means that a person has counted the cost in order to obtain something. The man who is called of God into the pastoral ministry has not only offered himself to God, but is fully aware of the cost that comes with the call. He is stretched. He is consumed with this main thought that whatever that cost may be, he has no other recourse than to be a trustworthy, faithful shepherd so that he may fulfill the charge that God has entrusted to him. That is his number one priority. That I must fulfill that thing that God has called me to. I must fulfill it. It doesn't stop when you reach age 65. Or 75. Or 78. As long as there is breath. As long as you can speak. As long as your mind is still working. As long as you can stand and preach and search for the riches of Christ, you keep on doing that. The call, God's call, Romans 16, the call is irrevocable until Christ should call you home. That's what you do. You don't retire from it. You keep doing it. I meet with guys every Monday, every Monday. We, we meet, and there's about 10 to, anywhere from 10 to 16 of us that meet every Monday, every Monday. One time we figured out, those men who are around that table, there's about a dozen of us, there's almost 500 years of ministry in those men, 500 years. There's a guy that sits next to me, he's 93 years old, he's still preaching, 93. I said, how long have you been in ministry? He said, oh, this is my 70th year still gone. I tell you what, I just, I'm just so proud and so glad to be a part of these guys. They don't stop. Just keep on going. We read in 1 Corinthians 4 too, it is required, it is required of stewards that one be found faithful. And in Romans 12, 1, Paul, writing to the church of Rome, says this, Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And even though is, that is written to all believers, it should be especially true for the man God has called into the ministry. I'm reminded of King David. When King David was wanting to stop a plague that, that, that God's hand was severely against the people of Israel, and David wanted to stop this plague when thousands were dying, he went to, he went to, the, to the field of Arana, the man called Arana, and he says, he says I, I need this piece of property. I want to build an altar so I can sacrifice before God so that this plague could be stopped. And Arana said, listen, king, I give you this property you don't, need, you don't need to pay for it. You remember David's response? He says, no, 
but I will surely buy it from you for a price, for I will not offer burnt offerings for my Lord, for the Lord my God, which costs me nothing. There is a cost to ministry. We don't offer ourselves for nothing. It comes with a cost. Cost, sacrifice, as well as desire are all part of being a pastor. Now then, there are at least three stages that matters that pertains to the pastor. Three things, and I'll cover these and we'll quit. Number one, there is his call. There is his call. In verse 1, Paul addresses the minister's desire. There is for certain an external reason. There is an external reason, an external desire, motivation to pursue such a calling. And that is the joy of seeing others coming to faith in Christ or perhaps seeing how God is working in a church as ministry takes place. It's good, it's good to see those visible things happen. However, there is something much deeper than an external motive. There is that inward drive or passion that tells the minister that there is no other option open to him spiritually. That this is, he's got to do this. That's the only thing that, that's the only thing that's on his mind. I have got to do this. This is what he's been called to do and that he therefore must do. The word pastor in the Greek is the word poimen. And the word poimen means to shepherd. It's what you call a shepherd. He leads his sheep. It doesn't drive them. He leads them. He is to be a shepherd to the sheep, the flock that God has given him to care, feed, and tend to those people. In Galatians 1.5, Paul states, he says, but when he had set me apart, even from my mother's womb. Listen, he, God set me apart even from my mother's womb, Paul says. And called me through his grace. Do you know when a pastor begins to be a pastor? The moment God decides to call him as a pastor. Paul says, it was from my mother's womb. Jeremiah, writing, says... Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. God knows his man. God foreknew him. God predestined him. God called him. God has justified him. God has sanctified him. And God has glorified him. Listen, God's man is called of God, not of the church, not of mommy and daddy, but called of God to be his minister. Let's go on with this statement and look at Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. And it says, and he, that is God, and God gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. Notice he says, God gave, listen, God gave pastors. God gave pastors. They're a gift to the church. Not to hang them out to dry in a line. Well, what are we having for dinner today? We're going to have roast pastor, 
We don't do that. God gave, God will give you a pastor, one that you can love and serve and work with, one that will teach you and work with you to minister so that the church of Jesus Christ be built up. There is something more than his call. There is the pastor's character. Let's look at verses 2 through 7 of our text. And and let's let's put this into a more current textual understanding than what we find in the Scripture. I'm going to use the Scripture, but we're going to make it in terms that we understand better. The pastor's qualifications given here are a summary, a summary of what he is to be on a personal level. They are, in verse 2, his reputation, his marital position, his self-control, his sensibility, his dignity, his friendliness, his ability to teach others, his, verse 3, his sobriety, his gentleness, his management of money, his, verse 4, and his management of the home. And what do they mean by that? Well, it's where the instruction of dignity and respect and courtesy are taught. The minister's home should be one of dignity, respect, and courtesy. These all speak of the qualifications of a pastor. But the question that needs to be asked is, what is the pastor's response? What is the pastor responsible for as he gets to the church field? Guy's coming here someday. This is going to be his church field. What's his responsibility to the church field? What does he need to do? Look, the the setting of the church field involves three essential things. And without these three things, the church becomes weak and nearly unusable. Three things are quintessential as he works the church field. So that field of ministry requires first preparation. That is that, using similes and metaphors here, there needs to be the removal of stones, weeds, and rocks. You know, a a farmer does that, and a pastor needs to do that. You got to prepare the land, prepare the field. By that, the pastor is charged with the task of preparing the church for ministry. He is to remove those things that are or will be a hindrance of growth to that church. That does not necessarily mean numerical growth. We we are so hung up on how many and how much. Do you realize, if, if if we use the equation of how many people are here in order for something to be successful, then Jesus was a big loser. If you look at John chapter 6, have you ever read John chapter 6? At the beginning of John chapter 6, there are 5,000 men, not counting women and children. 5,000 just men alone, plus women and children. Some say there might have been anywhere from 15 to 20-some thousand people there. And Jesus, without a microphone, is preaching to them, teaching them. When he gets done with his service, how many people are left? Twelve. 
Was it because he was long-winded? They didn't like what he said. They did not like what he said. Jesus, we don't like your theology because it doesn't fit what I want. A lot of times we preach in order so people can be pleased. Uh, something about tickling of the ear. It's not how we preach. The message, the message doesn't come from the heart of the individuals in the church. The message comes from the Holy Spirit of God. We preach what God gives us to preach. It's not a matter of numbers. What does Jesus tell us that we're to do? He didn't say go and curry the favor of people and bring in all kinds of numbers. He says go and make disciples. Would you rather have 10,000 people in a pew or 100 disciples? What would you rather have? I'd rather have the disciples. These hindrances, the stones, the rocks, and the weeds, these hindrances may be doctrinal error, spiritual anemia, non-committal for worship. There's just something about this is this is this amazes me. Do you know? Do you know? That you can come to church and in the wintertime we have heat and in the summertime we have air conditioning. No rain falls on you. You can take off your coat and be comfortable. Things are padded. The seats are padded. Or you can go to a ball game where it's 20 degrees below zero and freeze yourself to death and pay Thousands of dollars to get there, or you could come here. We have a tendency more for entertainment than we do for worship. The second thing, besides preparation, there's planting. The pastor is to sow the seed of God's word on soil that is provided by God. There are times we are so anxious to sow the seed of the word on a particular group or generation of people. Say, you know what? I think I'd rather have this kind of person, this age of a person. I'd rather have that. So we, we gear our ministry to reach certain ages or, or ethnicities of people or, you know, this kind of a church and that kind of a church. Listen, there, the Bible has no such thing as a homogeneous church. That is a church where everybody is the same. You're not the same age. We're not the same color. We're not the same socioeconomic economic grouping. There's no such thing in the Bible that has that. You come to worship not because you identify with a particular group of people. You come to worship because you identify with Jesus Christ. We should, as a church, we should look at that which God has and is providing for the church. 
That is, work, let us work where God is working. If we have a bunch of older people in a church, then we do ministry for older people. If God is sending younger people, we do ministry for younger people. If God has a mixture of people, then we do ministry that addresses a mixture of people. Work where God is working. It's just that simple. Don't change the dynamic of it. Work where God is working in your church. Take a look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 47. It says, and the Lord, the Lord, listen, the Lord was adding the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who are being saved. It is God who does that. Not you and I. God does that. God calls us to be faithful in ministry. Faithful in our service. Let God do the adding to the church. Let us be people of the word. Stay in the word. Keep your heart and your mind in the word of God. Also notice Acts 13, 48, it says, as many as have been appointed, listen, as many as God appointed to eternal life were saved. This was God's doing. What the apostle did was to preach the word to the soil that God provided. This is where God planted us. That's where we need to plant our seed. That's where we need to sow our seed. The third thing is production. Third and final thing is production. Production is based upon proclamation, not population. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 to preach the word in season and out of season. Preach the word, not book reviews, not economics, not current issues of the day, not a philosophy that denies the scripture, not unproven theories of science, not political issues, and not our personal agendas. Preach the word. The pastor is to preach the word. As one Puritan said, then shall his hand never weaken, his feet never stumble, his sword never rest, his shield never rust, his helmet never shatter, and his breastplate never fell, because his strength lies in the power of God's might. Brothers and sisters, call a pastor who will preach the word. Let us pray. Father, I thank you today, Lord, for this church. Lord, I thank you so much for this church, Lord. It, it, she's such a wonderful church. Lord, I know, I know, I know that you have a pastor for her. Lord, and he's, and he's headed this way. Don't know what his means of transportation is. But Lord, uh, whether quick or slow, Father, he will be here at your appointed time. But Father, until then, may we be found faithful. May we be good stewards of that which you've entrusted to us. May we hold close to our hearts the charge which you have given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Folks, i share with you some thoughts about being a pastor, but I'm going to share something else with you that is very near and dear to my heart. That, that is... Do you personally know Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior? Do you know that Jesus came from glory? He is fully God, fully man. Jesus came from glory, that he lived a perfect life, that he died in our place on a cross. He bore our sins. He bore his Father's wrath towards sin. 
He was forsaken of his own father because of the sin that he took upon himself. He died, he was buried, but on the third day he rose again from the dead. After he had arisen, he ascended into glory, he's seated at the right hand of God, and the same Jesus is coming back again. Do you know that Jesus as your Lord and your Savior? If you do not, today we offer this invitation to you. That is, you sense the Spirit speaking to your heart, opening your heart up to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You've never done that before. You say, Jesus, I want you in my life. I repent of my sins. I know I'm a sinner. Jesus, I want to turn away from my sin. I'm so sorry for my sin. Jesus, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for giving me new life. Lord, I confess you today as my Savior.